Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. So let's open up God's Word together. This morning I'm going to read from uh, the book of Romans, starting in chapter 1, going through to verse 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called, by, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness to how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I, don't, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had, have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, I'm excited to go through Romans, except I, I fear that uh, that you know in a six-week Romans uh, uh, series, like a, for the first part of it at least, that we're, we're never going to get to uh, the intricacies that and the richness that Romans provides. I don't know whether you realise or not, but you probably wouldn't. Well, not probably. You would not be sitting here if it wasn't for Romans, uh, because Martin Luther. Uh, drew upon uh, Romans to, to sort of solidify what he thought uh, in theology, and he's the one that went and nailed uh, nailed some disagreements to the door of uh, of the the whole thing, uh, and uh, and uh, that's where Catholic and Protestant split because of Romans. And so, without Romans, we would not uh, be here. Thanks, mate. Just roll it up. It's great. Um, so you know, so really, in some ways, Australia needs Romans 
as much as the world needs Romans, as much as you as a Christian needs Romans as well. Now, you might think, well, we're going to just skate through it, and we are going to skate through it. But if you'd like to get into more detail, I'm really prepared to come of a, uh, on, a, on a, uh, a Thursday night or a Wednesday night or whatever night you would like, really, but on a Thursday night uh, and go through Romans in great detail because it is very, very rich. And anyone that's been to seminary, basically you just bring out the notes because you go through the whole of Romans because that's where your theology connects. So if you'd like to do that, give me a call. Uh, talk to me afterwards and let's sit down together and have a, a very in-depth Bible study in which I would get into more of the Greek nuance and all the rest of the stuff that happens. Uh, I reiterate re- that uh, what Leanne prayed. Tim Keller was my go-to theologian and, uh, and uh, many of his books and nearly all of my preaching uh, has got some influence over the time from him. And so it's a sad thing for our world. Now, he's, he's a great um, blessing that he has given us, not just the books that he wrote, not just the, the amount of knowledge and conferences that I've been to where I've heard him speak and stuff like that. It's been fantastic. Before he died, about a month ago, uh, there's a, uh, an organisation that was connected to Redeemer Presbyterian Church called Gospel and Life, And it's where all of his material over all the years of his preaching and over all the teaching got funneled into and where you could buy uh, everything. So if you wanted to get a series like we're looking at at in our connect group on James, um, we download all of Tim Keller's sermons uh, and we pay for that and, uh, and, then he, and then we listen to it and then he's wrote a series of studies that are connected to James based upon the sermon series. About a month ago, he said it's all free. A whole lot of my stuff for all of history is free. And he said, I set it up so that Gospel and Life would be able to raise the funds so that forever they could produce it for free. And that's what he did. So a great legacy he's left behind uh, of great, uh, of phenomenal teaching. You may agree or may disagree with his, uh, his teaching. Not too many disagree with it. You might have something to say about it and there might be certain changes about it, but uh, it's great. So that, that's God in his life, you know. So even in his death, he uh, put it out. My mate said, I said, I just put it out for free. And he said, he's dying. And I went, yeah, I think he is. And, that, and he did an interview online that you can look at uh, just before he died with a young uh, lady about stuff. And uh, it was, you know, wasn't a dry eye in the place. That being said, uh, we're getting into Romans. Um, I don't know about you and, and your daydreams, but I can imagine when you daydream, it never includes rain. Probably doesn't. When I daydream about the surf that I'm going to be surfing in, in uh, the end of August, it's not 10 foot big, because that would just about kill me, and it's not one foot big. It's perfect, perfect surf. That's the way I always think. You may notice that in movies, it kind of of facilitates that kind of thinking. They never have toilet breaks. You ever notice that? When they wake up, they never have morning breath. They all just kiss each other instead of going, oh my goodness, you've got to brush your teeth. They always have correct change and they never drink coffee that burns your tongue. Movies often try to dramatise fantasy and actually place it into reality, present it as real. And it might be okay for fantasy and for entertainment, 
But when it comes to the good news of the gospel that the Apostle Paul wants to present to the Christians at Rome, he wants them to understand the reality of the gospel and not just a fantasy that's been made up in his mind, uh, in their mind. See, the fantasy that you can make up in your mind about the gospel is that you actually become the biggest person in the story. And that's what many, many churches have and many people have presented the good news of Jesus that way, that you get to heaven. It's all about you and what your benefit is to the whole equation of God's good news. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is God's story about he might, how he might be glorified and glorified by his people and we by his mercy and his kindness with absolute unmerited favour called grace have been allowed to enter into the story, his story, of how he's saving this world and redeeming this world. Now, of course, in all of that, we're saved. In all of that, we get to live in relationship with God, with a renewed relationship with him, rightly with him. Uh, and that's the benefit that we get. So in many ways, Paul's in some way is trying to contrast Christianity to the religious culture of the Roman world. It's not outside of, uh, outside of the culture that he speaks into. See, the Roman culture had uh, many, many gods, different types of gods, hundreds of them, as a matter of fact, and life was about appeasing these gods through religious rituals and worship rituals that went on, all with the hope that whatever domain the God happened to, to control, like the weather or, or, or prosperity or health or whatever it might be, all the life's happenings in the world, by your religious adherence to their rituals, you might appease them and then you'll have a better life as you go on. It had nothing to do with the God had to do with you appeasing them so they in their favour might pour down their blessing on you. That was the re religious Roman culture. And Paul speaks into that, not only into the Jewish understanding of ritual and practice and adherence to the law, but also into the Gentile world as well, which means non-Jewish people in the world. Their hope was that the deity would see their sacrifices and reward them for their dedication, blessing them in that particular domain that they supposedly had control of. Little did they know there's no such thing as other gods. There's only one God. And so Paul presents that. Only one true God who is over all and is in all. Paul is going to essentially say to the Christians, nothing that you can do, nothing, no religious ritual, no amount of giving, no amount of obedience is ever going to appease God to pour upon you. It is what he has done for you, not what you do for him. And that is a radical way of thinking. And it is a radical way of thinking even in our world today. See, it's hard for humans in humility to say there's nothing that I can do to earn my salvation. We want to do something. We want to somehow work and, 
and get to a place where we've been graded in our world so that we are graded to a point where we're pretty good people and we'll get to be wherever God determines for us to be. But Romans makes it a level playing field. There is no difference between Jew and Greek. There's no difference between poor or rich. There's no difference between the most heinous person and, and a person who we would consider to be good. We all have sinned. We all have broken that relationship with God and need salvation no matter where we stand, no matter what we do. Paul asks, and Chris is going to go more into the... I've given Chris the bad news sermon. Maybe not bad news. You might bring it into good news. I don't know. But Paul asks, do you want the bad news or the good news first? He says, going to rip the Band-Aid off. I'm going to give you the bad news first. We're cooked. And we have no hope without God. But that's not what we always hear, is it? Sometimes we hear this fantasy gospel where we can be saved somehow from something, but from something never is us. We kind of have a gospel sometimes that can disconnect ourselves from the thing that we're trying to be saved from. I, um, in my youth ministry, which was many years ago, I can only just remember it, um, I had a guy who collected 15 Bibles by going down the front at different conferences. He'd come back and he'd say, went to harvest at 14, then the next night, 15. And then we go to some band night uh, that we had at Tarley Bible Cottage where it was called Battle of the Bands, and he'd come back and he'd go, there's, there's another one, we've got another one. And then you'd listen to the message, and the message that was preached is that somebody would come up and, and say, my life was this, that and the other and it was, uh, it was all consumed by drugs and alcohol and partying and now I realise that God is the greatest satisfaction in life and so I moved forward. And if you want that satisfaction in life too, well then come forward and come down the front and become a Christian and you, you, you know, then you move on from there. And he'd go down the front. Now I don't know what happened. I know when I spoke to my leaders saying, well, he didn't become a Christian because he didn't even address sin, didn't even address his relationship with God. He just, for some reason, went down the front because something in the talk connected with him and now it's your job to understand what connected with him and then working back so that he would understand that the greatest solution in the Bible is for him to be forgiven of his sin and walk in a relationship with God. We don't want a comfortable Christianity and Paul does not present a comfortable Christianity where you can just grab hold of the latest fad that's going on or something that really connects with you about Christianity. No, he's saying to the Roman people, I want to explain it all to you in great detail and that he does. And if we understand Romans, let me say that we would never be the same. If we understand the truth of God's good news as Paul outlined Revival will come to us as it did to the world through Martin Luther. Paul says six things about the gospel. I'm not going to go through every single one of them. I'm just going to sort of uh, go in there. Let's pray before we start. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you speak to us so that your word would address the thoughts and the intentions of our heart and that we might 
move to understand what you have to say about your good news. I pray this in your name. Amen. I don't know whether you played the game of Chinese whispers before. It's a message where that's passed along through ears, through ears, through ears. Uh, and generally what happened, and I could have done that today, is that I could have had a Chinese whisper as you walked in the door. Just remember this, remember this, and you pass it along, pass it along, pass it along. But what happened in youth group is that I actually got people to sabotage it right in the middle, change the, change the story and change the story. So eventually when a person comes up, but what did you hear? They come up and they told us about the story and everyone went, what? How did we ever get to that? We, we need to understand how we ever got to that. Who was the first person that heard the story? And then they put up their hand and said that. And then we'd figure out the sabotage person and they tried to work out along the line who, who, who messed it up, who got to it. That's the Chinese whispers part. How do we actually understand and believe what is true of God's word is we go back to where we first heard it from. And that's the Bible. And Paul brings the Romans back to what he first heard, what he understands. And we go back into that so we understand the gospel exactly as it was originally said. Not what's been passed along to us and what we've heard along the line. What feels comfortable and what people feel as though might need to be presented, but, but you know, sort of changes it along the way. Now, I've used the word gospel over and over again. It's kind of like this big word that means that Christians would understand to mean good news, but that's a very, very inadequate way. It doesn't capture it very well. Like if I parked my car when I was going fishing, which I did often down at Bayview uh, boat ramp, uh, and, uh, and I was out there and the fish were on off Newport, and I knew that I had to be back there at 2 o'clock because I was going to get fined, let me tell you, they are absolutely on it. They know at 2.01 you're going to... Uh, get a fine if you're not there and the fish were biting i'd have to make up my mind is this fish worth about 120 buck fine or not and then so there was days where i just went out there and the kingfish were on and i, I just stayed out there and i come back at three o'clock and i'd look on my um much to susan's disgust look on my car and there'd be a uh, a ticket there but there'd be a couple of times where the good news happened the brown bomber hadn't got to me yet but that's just good news about me. It just affects me, doesn't it? It's not really life-changing news. It's good news, but it's not life-changing news. Paul presents this news of Romans as momentous news. We're talking about world-changing, absolutely flawed news. To talk about the gospel is to speak about the momentous, life-changing events that brought about great joy in what God has done. And we have that great joy because we understand that it is God's gospel. It's not ours. It's God's that he presents to us the momentous news that we can have a right relationship with him again. It's a good question that Christians ask, is how do you understand the the gospel. And for a builder, you need to kind of have that, that measuring laser line that measures up everything that you know whether you're in line or not, whether you're, you're kind of there or not. As we measure up the gospel and we understand the gospel, we will read Romans and we will measure what we think against what Paul presents, his theology that he presents, because ultimately... 
He's God's ambassador. If the UN wants to know what a particular country is thinking about, they would go to that country's ambassador to find out what the country is thinking of in a particular area. Well, if we want to know what God is thinking about and what he wants to present to his people, well, then he sent ambassadors or apostles. And those ambassadors were the mouthpiece, the voice piece of God himself. And so we have what John Dixon would call the apostolic secession, the apostolic deposit. And that apostolic deposit is the Bible. First of all, Paul says, it's the gospel of God. As I mentioned, the word gospel is usually uh, in Rome, used in Rome as momentous news, as life-changing news that brought about great joy. It's like the like a victory or birth of the son of the emperor. It's like declaring victory in war as the as the, the king rides in. It's that, that massive news for the whole country that is going to affect them all. But it didn't start with the announcement of Jesus, so Paul says, as you look at the first chapter. But it was promised beforehand through the prophets, through the Holy Scriptures. See, Jesus wasn't plan B. Jesus was announced long ago, in fact, 700 years in, in some of the books, before Jesus ever came on this earth. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't as if God thought, well, I'll give it a go. And if they can understand the law and keep the law, well, then we're sweet. No, it's not like that because they had no chance of keeping the law. It's not as if people didn't keep the law. They had no chance of keeping the law. They had no chance and we have no chance and we have not obeyed the Ten Commandments. We have broken the law. So we can't get that right. Jesus wasn't plan B to say, okay, we'll put this in place, we'll give this to Moses. They come down from the mountain, here's the Ten Commandments, if you keep it all, then that's great. Even the guy said, I've kept the law from birth. He said, oh, yeah, maybe not. Here, try this one. And then he got, you know, the rich young ruler got uh, tripped up from it. Now, Jesus was there right from the beginning. It was God's plan right from the absolute beginning. And that's what we celebrate in the gospel, that it's about Jesus. And if there was any ever, ever any confusion about what that might be, Paul reveals Jesus' full identity in the first chapter of Romans. He says he was a man. He was a descendant of David. And it was through David's line that God promised to establish the everlasting kingdom. Jesus is shown in that not only as a man, but as a powerful son of God by his resurrection. As he rose from the dead, he conquered death. He conquered the power and the effects of sin, knowing that if we put our trust and faith in him, he imputes us not only the good life that he lived, but also the things that he has done. And that is the victory over sin and taking on the penalty of sin upon himself. So Jesus is both fully human and fully God. If Jesus were only a man, then his death could only at very most satisfy one person. 
His life may have been a good, great example and, and was exampled for us to follow, but his example cannot change the problem of humanity, and that's being separate from God because of sin. And if Jesus was only God and appeared to be a man, then he didn't really die for sin. So sin and the penalty of sin has not been dealt with. It is only as Jesus is both fully man and fully God that he can fully represent us to God and not for us to be with God. Because the gospel is from God, it's not an option for us to make it better or more palatable. God is love, but he also, as we'll hear next week, is a God that demands justice and pours out his wrath upon sin and has dealt with that himself. Romans 10 says that we are to call him Lord. So it's not just about believing that Jesus did all these things, but Lord means that we're to respond to him as he is king not only in obedience of what he has done for our sin, but in faith we would give our life to him as Lord and live for him as king. For whose sake? Not for our benefit, but in verse 5, for his name's sake, so that he would be glorified. So in that, there's not one particular group that kind of claims dibs on Jesus. If we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory and, and God came so that he would be glorified in that his son would deal with sin, we all fit into the category that we have sinned and fallen short of that. No one claims dibs on that. And Paul's momentous news says that this news is life-changing not only for those who knew about, like the, the cartoon said, those who knew about the prophet coming from old, that knew about the Old Testament's prediction of Jesus, but also people who haven't got a clue, the Gentile people. It's life-changing news for people. It is for those we think would listen and for those who don't listen, for those who are poor and those who are happy and those who are successful and those who are religious and those who are not, those who are wayward, those who are model citizens in our world. Because as the first part of Roman heads to and, and sort of makes a, a, a full stop at is that we're not perfect and we need forgiveness. Everybody needs God's forgiveness that he gives is that the gospel that you understand? It's a good question, isn't it? Does your gospel, does your good news of Jesus, does your message of salvation measure up to that? One of the evidences that we, uh, that we un have understood the gospel is that we'll pass it on without making it more attractive or without being ashamed of it. David Cook tells a story, a true story, because uh, I went to SNBC and David Cook was the principal of that and we had Principal Hour, which is probably the highlight of my week, to tell you the truth, um, although I really enjoyed the study, Nat. 
But Principal Lau was great because David Cook was just a phenomenal preacher. He tells a story of a young girl who had a slight uh, development disability and was on a plane a, a trip to London uh, where there were three seats. She was at one end of the seats and beside her was a, a business uh, man and beside that businessman was another businessman. So a little while in the flight, um, the, uh, the girl asked the man beside her, do you brush your teeth? And he said, yes. And she said, that's good, otherwise your teeth would be destroyed and drop out. Later on, she leaned across and asked the man, do you smoke? No, he replied. He said, that's good because your lungs would rot and you would die. In a while, she leant over again and she said, do you love Jesus? And the man said, yes, I do. He said, that's good because if he didn't, you would be destroyed and you'd go to hell. And after a while, uh, she leant across and said, would you ask the man beside you if he brushes his teeth? <laughs> so he said, the girl beside me wants to know if you brush your teeth. And then she leant over again and said, can you ask the man beside you whether he smokes or not? Which he did. And she said, that's good. And you knew what was coming. She said, can you ask him if he believes in Jesus? And the man said which is amazing, funny you asked. I don't know him, but I'd like to know more about him. Just last month I've been thinking about what Jesus means. And they had that conversation for the rest of the flight. She shared it because it naturally comes from her. Sometimes we hold back because we wonder what other people will think. And we try to make the conversation start and finish with things that are not going to be so convicting or not going to be you know, so um, in your face so that our reputation might not suffer and maybe we have to think to ourselves, are we ashamed of the gospel? But Paul said, not only will he speak extensively about what Jesus has done, but he'll also talk about the life-changing message of the gospel. Paul, as we understood, didn't have a great start. His testimony was a pretty radical one that you don't hear of. Maybe in some parts of the world you would, uh, but not in Australia, I don't think, where Christians have been killed by a particular person and then they become a Christian and become advocates for Jesus you probably would hear that in other parts of the world, but, but Paul had that testimony. He was a guy who was full on down the Jewish line. He wasn't a theologian, but he certainly learned to be a theologian uh, as God uh, put his message on, on his mind. And there's no doubt that if you look at the life of Paul, that it was changed by the good news of Jesus. Because when we or anybody trusts in God's gospel, we're made new and we begin to change what we think like and what we look like. Paul viewed himself through the gospel as a servant or a slave. So I'm a slave. Now slaves in that first century did not even get recognition when they died. There was no obituary in the paper that there was no recognition when a slave died. 
There was no burial service. There was nothing. They just died. And he says, I'm an apostle called specifically, set apart as an evangelist, a teacher, an apologist, talking into, into different cultures and a church planter. And he saw others through that gospel that compelled him to speak out about God's salvation and how people can get it. He says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel changed the way that Paul viewed life and viewed others. It influenced every area of his life, but particularly his prayer life. We read in verse 8 to 10, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart, is preaching heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers for at all times I pray that now at last by God's will I might the way might be open for me to come to you isn't that amazing he hadn't even visited Rome before he hasn't even met the Christians who were meeting in church before but he had a longing and a heart for what they were doing in that culture to change the culture, and present Jesus. Do we have that? Leanne prayed about mission work and May Mission Month that comes up uh, within the Baptist world. I think May Mission work comes up in a whole lot of different contexts, um, Missionary Alliance and a whole lot of different uh, places. But in some ways, Paul is saying that his heart didn't have to be confined to May. He was rejoicing and he was praying for, and he was partnering with, with whoever was presenting the gospel, whoever was out there doing stuff. He thanked them for their faith. He prayed for them to be able to visit them. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to be shoulder to shoulder with them, not out of some sort of insecurity. They didn't have a part to play in that, but but he wanted to be with people. He desperately wanted to walk with them. My mate just came back from a, uh, a trip of, of, of missions and of ministries that he supports around the world. And uh, I spoke to him the other night, and he's saying, Mark, Christianity in other parts of the world looks nothing like Christianity does in this world. And he said, I had a hard time getting my head around um, what that what Christianity looks like. And we're not talking about the message of salvation. We're talking about what church looks like, what people living look like, what people worshipping looks like, what people following Jesus looks like. And he said, but it was amazing because they were so excited in whatever context he visited, because he went to Cairo, went to Lebanon, went to all those different places, how encouraged they were that he was there. And how encouraged they were that he was supporting them, not only by what he was giving financially, but what he was giving himself, being there. Do we partner with other people? I'm not talking about going around the world, and maybe it's going around the world, but I'm not specifically talking about that. Do we partner with people? Are we excited about Peter O'Connor, who goes down to Hornsby Mall, uh, down the fountain and shares the gospel every single Saturday. 
We're excited about that. Do we want to partner with him, either by prayer or by standing shoulder to shoulder with him? Fuse are going through uh, Alpha, Youth Alpha. Are we praying every week that as these people, young people, are moving closer and closer and closer to when Alpha says, are you making a decision for Jesus to follow him, that these young people would be guided, directed, influenced by the Holy Spirit so they would get to that point, commit and give their life to Jesus? That's Youth Alpha. But that happens just in youth. That happens just with Peter O'Connor, little giggles, all sorts of different places. Are we partnering with people in prayer? If it's the gospel of God and God by his grace is presenting his love and mercy, forgiveness to all through the Holy Spirit, are we praying that the Holy Spirit is moving in our world and moving in our ministries so that we would say great results from them? Paul was. Paul was absolutely convinced that God was moving him and wanted to absolutely stand beside and encourage other Christians every day. He was influenced in prayer and he was influenced by encouragement, as I spoke about. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart some kind of spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Do I want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented by doing so until now in order that I may have some harvest among you just as I have had among other Gentiles? See, Paul was gracious rather than saying, this is what you need and I'm going to give it to you. That's good. Ministry needs that. He understood the importance of mutual encouragement. So he said, no, I want to encourage you and stand beside you. I want to come alongside. I want to give uh, courage and support and, and be a prompt to people. I don't know whether you've had letters of encouragement before. Wrote about whether you have a, 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 a when the last time people wrote a letter to you. It's been a long time. I get a lot of emails that encourage me to, uh, to change some things or do some certain things. But there are a few times uh, that I am so encouraged when people write, and just, I just want to encourage you. Not prompted by anything. People just write, so I just want to encourage you. And I, I pray that you do that to your friends. I pray that your connect groups, that's part of being in a connect group where you encourage each other in what you do. And you walk with each other in that. So not only did his life, life was influenced in prayer for the gospel and influenced by the desire to come alongside people, but also it was his motivation. And we learn a lot about Paul. The same as Jesus had the I am statements in the Bible. And, you know, I am the vine, a true vine, I am the good shepherd, etc., etc., etc. Paul also had I am statements in, in Romans. He said, you know... I'm, I'm obligated. He said, I, because Jesus has done it all for me and I have done nothing for him and it's because, because he has given me his love and kindness and compassion far more than what I deserve because I'm undeserving of anything, I'm obligated to share that gospel with others. And because of what he's done, I'm eager. I'm single-minded 
Everything else was pretty much unimportant to Paul compared to the task of preaching the gospel. Now, listen, though. He was called to be an evangelist. Now, we're all called to be an evangelist and give an account when called upon and to pray that God would open up doors for us to share the faith. But his job was that. So he, everything else was unimportant. I don't think that your vocation, what you do, is unimportant to God. I think it is integral to your message of the gospel that you'll share with your work friends and the people around you. I don't think being eager and dedicated to playing sport or doing whatever you might do is unimportant to God. I think it is often avenues and open doors where God will introduce you to people where you're able to share your faith. Paul went into cultures and, and, uh, and different, different places and that was his, mis- his mission was to be an evangelist within that time. But as Paul is obligated, we are obligated. As he's eager, we're eager that God would open up doors for us and, and allow us to speak because ultimately we should be unashamed of the gospel, meaning that Paul, as we should be, was confident that the gospel would deliver what it claimed to, that it was the good news, the power of God towards salvation, but it was also life-changing, not just eternal life. Right here, right now, it affected him and he was unashamed to tell it. The question is not whether we are ashamed or not, but do we share it? And that will show whether we're ashamed or not. The gospel is the power because it reveals what God has done. And here's the memory verse of Romans, verses of Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, then the Gentile. That's verse 16 and 17. If they're going to have a memory verse right throughout our series, this is it. For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that comes, that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. And we're going to unpack that a little bit as we go throughout our series. Righteousness is an attribute of acting consistently in a good way towards God, in a right way towards God. And God is the only one that is perfect. And so he gives us in full measure his righteousness so that we can stand before God and we can be transformed in our life to walk with him. As it's written, it says, doesn't it? It Because just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. That's the question of Habakkuk. Ask that ask before Jerusalem was destroyed. He wanted to know, was God going to punish Judah for their wickedness? But he did not realise the extent of what that was going to mean, the punishment of Judah. And the problems for Habakkuk are somewhat our problems as well. Was God and how was God going to keep his promises to save his people from the wrath that was surely going to fall upon them. God's answer in Habakkuk was that he should wait. For both will happen in the end. 
evil will be destroyed and the righteous will live by faith. The gospel provides the answer to Habakkuk's question. God pours his wrath on Jesus, who takes the punishment for our unrighteousness and rejection of God so that he can forgive us and keep his promises, our salvation, and that we, in obedience to God and thankfulness to him, by his grace, are able to live rightly before him. The gospel is about God, what he's done. The response of the gospel demands for us to live and trust in Jesus, trust that he would save us, but entrust our whole life to him. So the question for me is, do I understand the gospel? And the evidence of whether I do or not will be seen in whether the gospel controls me and controls you. Or do we control the gospel? That's what Chris is going to unpack a little bit next week, that somehow the desires of our heart seems to win at times and we do what we think is right in our own eyes rather than what God says. Can't wait. I'm not sorry that I gave you the passage. It's a great message of Romans as we walk forward. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would never be uh, accused of making your message more attractive, more palatable, that we think is more palatable. But we would recognise, Lord, that your message of coming to save us from our sin and your wrath, enabling us to live forever with you and to live a life with you, is momentous news. And your Holy Spirit is the come to convict the world of your of their sin and unrighteousness and judgment but also your Holy Spirit has come to present the good news to people so Lord open up the eyes, ears and hearts of people so that they might see you clearly and see your love and your kindness clearly and see how you took that punishment so that they might walk with you forgiven. And I pray this in your name.